Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and as always, you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Trash. You know, that stuff that we just kind of unthinkingly throw into garbage bins? Well, it's actually a growing global crisis. And currently, the majority of quote-unquote recycled products are themselves ending up in landfills or being burned. So I sat down with Karen Hoskin and Elizabeth Smith, the founders of Zoetica, at their headquarters and showroom in downtown Crested Butte to talk about the crisis, the myths, and the solutions to these problems, and to learn more about how they are working to help us rethink these issues and take concrete actions to address them. Before we get started, I want to let you know about the Student Outdoor Leadership and Education Conference, aka the Soul Conference, that is being held at Western Colorado University on April 5th through the 7th. We here at Blister are proud to be a sponsor of the Soul Conference this year, and it promises to provide a full weekend of networking, learning, and competition. This year, one of the primary focuses of the Soul Conference is the question of what it means to make an impact in the outdoor industry. And for more information, you can visit soulconference.com. That's S-O-L-E conference.com. And please tell any students you know about the Soul Conference. And now let's get to the conversation I had right here in Crested Butte with Elizabeth Smith and Karen Hoskin. And just to help you keep track of who's who as you listen, you will hear Karen Hoskin field my first question. I am very happy to be here with Karen Hoskin and Elizabeth Smith. We are sitting in the office and showroom of Zoetica right here on Elk Street in downtown Crested Butte. And it is snowing so hard outside that I can barely stand it right now, as Karen and Elizabeth can attest. I'm very excited about all of this. In addition to being excited to uh, to talk with Karen and Elizabeth, um, I met with you about a week ago or something and mm-hmm. just had a really, really wonderful conversation that uh, it was one of those kind of chiropractic adjustments in terms of how you think about the world in a big way. And so I'm very excited to be talking with the two of you today about some very big issues. And so I think the way that I want to just get started is if you wouldn't mind framing for us the broad macro issues that led to the start of Zoetica. So many places to start this story, but probably the most important one is that Elizabeth and I, close to three years now, Uh, really began a journey of self-assessment. So we were those people who didn't want to be pretending to be sustainable, pretending to be environmentally responsible, doing the one thing that was easy and convenient and ignoring the 900 other things. We really wanted to be legitimate and making every decision along an ethos um, and, and within an ethos of not leaving a trail of crap for our own kids to deal with. And so we started meeting regularly as friends, as parents, um, our kids are the same age, and saying, how do we do this? This is incredibly hard. It's incredibly hard to shop and to travel and to work and not just leave this huge trail of trash behind us and single-use 
throwing away of coffee cups and water bottles and to-go containers and, you know, napkins and plastic cutlery and everything. Um, and so we really started a campaign together. We're going to do this. And um, we each tried different things that we already had. We borrowed things from friends. We got things at the thrift store. We bought some things new. We tested them, tried them. It took us a full eight months to get to a place where we thought maybe this is going to work. And even then it's taken you know, another couple of years for us to perfect our systems so that when we're on the move, when we're working everywhere, we're eliminating single-use trash from our own lives. It was funny when, when we met a week ago or so, it was funny that I came in and I was talking about recycling and you actually said, well, hang on, let's actually talk about trash. And that was interesting. Maybe it was a bit indicative, maybe some other people are like that, is that in my head, I think as a modern American human being, I ought to be thinking about recycling. And you weren't that impressed talking about recycling. And, and that's where our conversation, I felt like we backed up. And I believe you were talking, the term you used was convenience trash. Mm -hmm. And so again, why do we care? Why do we care? Because our oceans are said to have more plastic in it than um, fish in 2050. I mean, plastic is found in our drinking water. It's found in our human bodies. It's found everywhere. It's choking our rivers. It's choking our oceans. It's it's getting, it's it, everywhere you look. You, once you see it, we say you can't unsee it. That's our problem. We, we have nowhere to put it. And now China, 2018, stopped taking our contaminated trash. Um, mainly our plastics um, and paper um, products. Now, in the U.S., we have to figure out what we're going to do with the recycling. And it's obvious now that this has stopped that we're not we're not set up to deal with this recycling. Just recently, a couple of days ago, in Chester, um, Pennsylvania, they're they're burning it. They're burning the recyclables in these neighborhoods. I have this quote here. Chester County torches around 3,510 tons of trash, the weight equivalent of more than 17 blue whales every day. This is now creating a second problem with air quality, and we're breathing it in. So I could go on and on and on about the problem. Well, we've really set up a paradigm in America where we've worked so hard over the last 15, 20 years to train the world to recycle. Um, so we got really excited about how we could take a, a container for our salad and get the salad. It was convenient. And then we could eat it and then we could hurl it into a, into a recycling bin. And someone else was going to take that plastic thing and move it into a recycling center. And it was going to be turned into a piece of fabric or it was going to be turned into, you know, another bottle or something like that. And we, we, built this entire system that's been predicated on something that doesn't work, unfortunately. And we all got very excited about it, it made us feel good. Like I got really excited about being a good recycler, you know, like I'm taking all of this exactly where it should go. It's clean. And I put the number one in the right bin and I sorted out the number seven because that wasn't recyclable. Like we got so good at that. And yet of the plastic, the single-use plastic that we make in America, 
only 9% of it was even making it into that recycling bin. So 91% of it was going in the trash can because of people who didn't care about the recycling paradigm. They were like, oh, convenience. Here's a trash can. I'm going to put it in there. Here's a recycling bin. I don't know. Is it a one? I don't really care. Goes in the trash. Or you go to the, like the Dallas airport or the Houston airport or you know some of these larger airports in America that don't even have recycling on site. And so there isn't even a choice. So most of it was ending up in the landfill anyway. And plastic doesn't go away. It's not like paper where it might biodegrade or paper where it might burn easily, uh, which unfortunately is creating all kinds of gas issues. Um, but it's literally going to be there in 450 years. A when thousand. Yeah, there's some, people have different scientific ideas about how long plastic will last. Um, it breaks down smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's really those microplastics that are causing some of the biggest issues with fish, yeah. with animal kingdom in general, and with our children, what we're bequeathing to the next generation. New York City produces 33% more trash every year than they did the year before. And so we're just continuing to build and build and build these piles that are going to bury our cities and our entire country if we don't come up with a different paradigm. We just have to change something. Um, people that it's it's easy to talk about the conversation about the problem. The much harder thing is talking about how do we fix it. Just to clarify a couple terms, you I think Elizabeth were talking about contaminated recycling. Say a word about that, if you don't mind. So uh, China said no to taking our recyclables. So what we were doing historically, about half of our plastic in America was getting put on a container ship and shipped to China. And China was converting it, we think, we hope, into recyclable materials, recyclable products, recycled fabrics, things like that. Um, but what was happening was the United States wasn't actually washing are recycling. And so it was going over, by the time it ended up on a container ship in China, it was toxic and completely, you know, disgusting. And China said, we can't turn this into anything. So all of us have just paid to send this thing at great carbon impact across the ocean to be turned into something. It's not going to get turned into something. Um, and so the, the whole concept is flawed. And so they said, no more, we don't want it. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. And so now we have to figure out what to do with it. And what's happening in our recycling centers in America right now today is that the plastics are building up and building up. There are many of those recycling centers that are just keeping it, hoping there's going to be a market for it in a week or a month or some miracle is going to happen. The ones that don't have anywhere to store it are incinerating it. And that means that your whole principle of recycling just fell apart because it's not going to get turned into something. It's going to get burned, which produces, you know, all kinds of, of toxic air quality issues in our country. If we're going to start doing that as a practice. And it does seem like something that I suspect that many people who have tried to cultivate a practice of recycling, this would be something that um, I think for a lot of those people, it's fairly devastating to hear, well, all we're really doing is putting our trash on a boat and making it somebody else's problem while we then turn around and sort of live with this kind of false good conscience. There's, I mean, my broad circle of friends, 
I am certain that no one would take comfort in hearing like, well, I don't really care. The trash isn't in my backyard. We just shipped it over and made it China's problem. Like nobody's going to be okay with that. I don't know how up many of us are on, in fact, what is actually happening to a large percentage of these materials. And so, I mean, frankly, if we're going to burn it, we might as well burn it here and not, you know, put it on a boat first and send it across the ocean. So I think for those listening who are like, yeah, I don't love the idea that in fact, the recycling centers are full here. A lot of this stuff is not being recycled. So let's just start burning it in our backyards. I think pretty quickly people would like to find a different a different solution here. We are going to talk about solutions, but I still want to make sure that people are kind of clear on the state of the union and where we're actually living. So do we want to talk a bit about plastics and say biodegradable plastics? Tell, tell me a bit about that. So biodegradable and compostable um, those terms get used interchangeably, but they're really quite different. And when you have a biodegradable plastic, it's often added, there's more additives added to it so that it can break down easier with oxygen and air. And so it's actually more toxic in the end, but it does supposedly break down faster, but how much faster than regular plastic, we do not know. So, I mean, I want to turn this back on you. What do you think when you have a biodegradable cup, what do you think happens to it? Yeah, honestly, I guess I would think that if that would go into the trash or landfill bin and it would just break down quicker, though, if you, you know, gun to my head, how quick? Year or two. Okay. It, there's, no, there's no definition right now of how fast it breaks down. But if you put it in the trash, thinking it's going to go to the landfill and break down, it actually gets entombed with all this other trash, and there's no oxygen, there's no air. It it decomposes just like plastic. And it actually ends up releasing methane, which is a big contributor to, obviously, greenhouse gases. So then your next option would be recycling, but you can't put it in the recycling because it because of all these additives, it's not as strong as other plastics. And so it actually harms or contaminates that recycling. So then your next option is, well, I could probably put it, it's biodegradable. And that word bio is very misleading because if you put it in the compost, now suddenly you have all these extra toxins when it decomposes that are going into the soil that maybe you use that soil to plant, you know, grow your food. So there's only one and only one place you can dispose of biodegradable plastic properly. And is that is that's in a commercial composting facility. And here's a quote that I have with only about 200 industrial composting facilities in the United States and 50 million tons of organic waste still ended up in landfills across the country each year. We are obviously ill-equipped to adequately compost any meaningful volumes of biodegradable plastic. There, I mean, I don't know where the closest composting um, facility is, commercial composting facility. I mean, it's very difficult and very specified. So that's another feel-good myth that we have out there as well. So if you walk down to our local coffee shop in Crested Butte and you buy a nice chai and it's in one of those 
green and plastic cups that we've all come to recognize and look for because that's the one we want to make sure that we're not just contributing to the problem. And you look at that and you think this is the thing, this is going to solve the problem. And we're four and a half hours away probably from the nearest commercial composting site. And it's not going to happen. It's never going to get there. So it's either going to contaminate the regular plastic recycling, or it's going to, you know, inaccurately go into someone's personal compost and not help that, or it's going to go into a trash can, or it's going to get tossed at the recycling center because it's in the wrong place. That's depressing. It is depressing. So one of the big examples we came across was we were working with The Gap in California, and they had, you know, very responsibly decided to switch all of their plastic cutlery to biodegradable plastic. Actually, the entire city of San Francisco was encouraging that all businesses that used any sort of plastic cutlery switch to biodegradable. All of that started going to their commercial composting facility and didn't biodegrade. So then it had to be scraped out of the biodegrading facility because it was getting in the way of everything else. And they came back to big companies like that and said, you have to stop using this. You have to go back to regular plastic, which is at least recyclable um, because your biodegradable plastic is not biodegrading. So I guess while we are doing kind of this investigation and learning, I mean, is your, you know, we've heard a lot as a term greenwashing as a kind of in marketing but how sinister is when you're talking about companies are making quote unquote biodegradable plastics and it's like, yeah, that's not biodegradable. Do we want to say something like they just made an honest mistake? Do we want to say something like it's a different form of greenwashing? Like, hey, turns out these hippie folks seem to care about recycling stuff and not creating more waste and landfill products. So how about we just come up with a new product line? I mean, where do we think the truth lies in this? I would say that the truth lies in that they saw an opportunity to create a better product than the one that was existing prior. Um, And so I don't think that there was true sinister behavior, but they very strategically left out that information that this would need to be biodegraded in a commercial facility. I got savvy to that many, many years ago because I also own a craft distillery and I do a lot of events nationally and we serve a lot of beverages. And I was using those green uh, type plastic cups and I thought I was doing such a good service to the world. And so many people said to me, you know, those aren't actually going to biodegrade anywhere. And I started doing the research and realized that they were absolutely right. And that I had to get rid of those as well, that I couldn't just rely on all of these products that were out there that were supposed to solve the problem. What I started to realize was that really what I had to change was my level of convenience. So I was using those things so that I didn't have to think about how to have a glass there for someone, how to have a shot glass made out of actual glass or something like that for people. Um, And so that's really what generated so much of this is we're such a convenience driven culture. People say to us all the time, you know, but I travel light. I want to be light. And our feeling is that there is a trail somewhere behind you. It's just a question of whether you're carrying it or whether you're leaving it in a, in a trash bin or a landfill, nobody gets to escape 
the trail. And so what we've started really trying to change the dialogue away from is let's get a convenience single use item and try to recycle it, try to biodegrade it. Why not just have a thing that gets reused 2000 times? Granted, you have to carry it and you have to clean it. Um, And that seems to be a bit of a barrier in our country. People don't want to have to carry or clean things. Um, But as soon as we can sort of get them over the hump of thinking about carrying it and cleaning it, all of a sudden they're saving 20, 25 pieces of trash a day single-handedly. And you take that ripple effect out through hundreds and hundreds of people, and then you start really making an impact. And then you take it to, you know, we're taking it to office buildings. We're taking it, you know, to different businesses that everybody can be doing this. And and then corporations see that, oh, maybe we're making choices based on the packaging and maybe they need to change their packaging. You know, I'm not going to buy that six pack of can of beans because it's now in plastic or those potatoes wrapped in plastic. I'm not going to buy them. And I think that talk about yet another shift in terms of our perspective or again i think a lot of us would like to be like hey we like to think of ourselves as decent citizens of the world and i want to be up on what are kind of current best practices and i think that this what you're now talking about and this is obviously we're we're kind of identifying the kind of the broad problems and some of the broad myths right now we're, we're gonna get here in a bit to some of these solutions But I think this is what, in fact, you guys are talking about is this really is a whole change in terms of thinking about, right? Like this is a way of life and a lifestyle where you start much more consciously thinking about how do I not throw something into a trash bin or a recycling bin. Before we sort of start moving closer and closer to Zoetica, your company and and what you are actually doing and, and your solutions so far to some of this. Do we want to say anything more about plastics? Karen, you'd said something about uh, sort of making a bit of a differentiation between durable plastics versus single use. Well, I think we, years and years ago when plastic was first invented, like people think it's been around forever, but it's really a relatively recent product development. Some, there are different dates depending on which type of plastic you're talking about, but Late 1950s, early 60s is when plastic became a thing. And so now you get in your car and your steering wheel, your bumper, you know, all of your components, um, everything, your seatbelt, everything is made from plastic. But the reality is that you're probably going to use that plastic 25,000 times, 75,000 times, 120,000 times. And so it's capacity to reach a usable lifespan is really so much better. Um, and, and I don't think we have any mission to try to get rid of durable plastic. It's been incredibly helpful to making things lighter, making airplanes fly, making medical, te- medical technology, all kinds of things. So those are very positive outcomes with plastic. And I think what happened was... We also, at the same time that plastic came out, we were dealing with some public health issues like 
toxic contaminations in restaurants and, you know, people getting sick from food. And so plastic offered a way to create a, a clean container, a clean environment for food that would allow people to avoid salmonella and, you know, different types of negative health outcomes. Um, but we, we never once sat down and said, okay, we have these good outcomes. We're also going to have some really terrible outcomes. We're going to convert an entire culture to using these things that will never go away. How can we deal with this? Um, I think there are a lot of scientists out there who are working really hard to try to find ways to get plastic to have a more durable lifespan, even if it's single use, or you know, put it back into the system somehow, or create a market for reusable plastic, reusable fa fabrics that are made from plastic. There's a lot of effort but it's never gonna keep up with the huge extent to which we're increasing our production and our use of single-use plastic. So Coca-Cola created a billion more bottles in 2018 than they did in 2017. So we have this massively growing problem and lots of small solutions that are taking care of a, a small piece of it. So the feel-good part of it is also that, you know, well, I, look, I have this water bottle and it's made from recycled plastic. Yes, but how much recycled plastic did that address? And how many water bottles are we going to need? There's not a good ratio between what we can turn it into and what we are creating. So really, we have to start talking about the end of the creation, the, the end of the huge, massive increase in production of single-use plastic. And then maybe we can start thinking about how to deal with what we have and what we're going to pull out of the ocean and what we're going to deal with in the you know, LA River and what's going to be floating in the air because we've created so much microplastic in a windy environment that it's actually going into people's lungs. Like we, It's a pretty substantial issue. But for Elizabeth and me, we think the conversation should be about reducing, refusing, eliminating. Rethinking your whole process, how you go through your day, how, how you shop, how you, how you do everything um, to avoid it. Doesn't mean it's going to go away, but we need to change. We need to shift this whole paradigm. And it's also, I, I, don't, I think a lot of people don't make that connection between climate change and plastic um, with all these petrochemical plants, a huge one in um, Pennsylvania going in and all this extra natural gas that we're burning and, you know, to create more and more plastic. I'm curious if there are specific authors or websites or books that you are keyed in on right now where you feel like these are sources you've come to trust for some of this information and for those who might want to try to catch up into you know where we are and and stay up we are huge fans of the plastic pollution coalition mm -hmm. um, it's a national organization that's doing a lot of different both data monitoring and programs to try to recognize where the big contaminations are taking place where the big sources of pollution are and start to clean those up. Um, so they have really lovely resources online and we're, we've already kind of done some donating to their events. We hope to do more of a philanthropic collaboration with them as our company grows. Um, but also 
Um, we've been partnering with Allison Teal, uh, Allison's Adventures. She's an international traveler and surfer, and she's been documenting plastic worldwide in a way that we've never seen before. Um, surfing through and walking through these incredible, huge deposits of plastic on islands in the Pacific and floating in the ocean and uh, in Manila and in Indonesia and in all kinds of different parts of the world. Um, so documenting has been a big piece of that. And, and we've, we work closely with her and love to encourage people to go and look at the documentary filmmaking that she's done about the problem. That film has been really a powerful tool because you can't just like go out and throw some plastic somewhere and take a picture of it. Like these, they're documenting the realities that many of us don't see. Um, we just, we like to put it away over there behind the wall so that we can get through life in a much more positive, happy way, which we're guilty of that too. I don't oh, want to yeah. see it. I don't want to see it, um, but most, a lot of cultures in this world live within it. And in the West, we put it all away. And for some reason, we've grown up with this idea, perceived notion that it's all just going away, but it's, it's not going away. And it's, we all, we have to deal with this. And there's nothing crazier than going to a beautiful ocean beach town. Like I just went to this incredible beach in Colombia and I, on the front side of all the buildings, it was this pristine sand and pristine water. And then you walked out the back door of any hotel or any resort and there was the miles and piles of plastic because they didn't have anywhere to send it. Like they didn't have the infrastructure that we have at our resorts in the United States and in some of the, you know, maybe quote unquote more developed parts of the world. Although I believe that those developed parts of the world are the biggest offenders related to convenience trash. Um, but those, you, know, you walk out the back door and you're like, ah, this is the ugly backside of plastic. And you walk out the front door and you're like, okay, I feel calm again. Mm -hmm. And those are the types of, of, you know, smoke and mirrors that we're setting up so that people can live and be happy and relax and not necessarily know how much they need to be dealing with. Um, back to resources. Another resource that we've used is the Five Gyres Institute out in California. They have some good resources. Five um, Gyres? Yeah, you've heard of the Five Gyres of the ocean plastic, the, the small micro um, plastic that's swirling around. There's five gyres of these around our ocean that um, are larger than Texas and small, tiny bits of plastic. So they're a great resource um, and they're doing, they have a lot of great science based on their website. If you want to find out more information, more facts, um, they really thoroughly vet all their information, all articles and um, they're a good resource. Mm -hmm. We're going to put links in the show notes to this episode on the Blister website. Um, so just in case you're, you know, on a run right now and listening to this or at the gym or something, uh, you can check check the Blister website and we'll make sure that we get in a number of these resources that, uh, that you're talking about here. Um, One quick thing that has been important to us is that there's a lot of what we would describe as sanctimony around these issues. So there are a lot of people who want the world to think that they really have nailed the zero waste life or I'm more zero waste than you or <clears throat> I've I do this and you don't and I'm good and you're bad and 
one of the things that we really gravitate toward, and it's why we love the Plastic Pollution Coalition and the Five Gyres Institute, and is that we all have ownership for this. We have we have crazy ownership for these problems, um, and really, there's a whole continuum of of you know kind of stepping into the solutions if yeah. we're going to transition in that direction. Um, so we want people to start with one thing, like get your head around whatever you can. Don't feel like you have to solve the entire yeah. world problem tomorrow because that's what's defeating us. We're mm -hmm. getting a lot of people out there who are like, oh, now it's my biodegradable cup. Damn it. Like yeah. I thought I had a solution and now I don't. And they give up and they throw their hands up and they say, I'm never going to be able to do this. I'm never going to make a difference. Why should I even care? And we're so careful and considerate about trying not to be part of that sanctimoniousness and say, you know, we're all starting somewhere. Some of us started years ago. Some of us will start next year. And some of us are going to go whole hog and some of us are going to take it bit by bit. But the good news is if you step onto the continuum, it's pretty addictive. Like once you get started, it's really uh, empowering and you end up wanting to do more and the next thing and take it on and keep going and inspire your kids. My kids who are college age and in college, they do a way better job than I do because they get to ramp it up another level because um, they started without all the bad habits that I'm trying to correct. correct. Mm -hmm. Um, a lifetime of bad habits. Like they're starting with good habits and they're ramping it up. I can't get out of my head that this number you just said about Coca-Cola, I think it, it's not that they produced a billion plastic bottles, it's they produced a billion more. And I'm curious if you are currently aware on the sort of material sciences side of things, are we on the cusp of anything truly interesting that, that you're currently aware of? Because it does sound like, I mean, there's gonna be a number of ways to try to attack and address this issue. One of them, if there was truly an improvement from a material sciences point of view, and again, that can, <laughs> we just went through how that can be a, a false path in, in its own right, Anything on the radar? I just um, saw something a couple of days ago about, it's called Renewology. Renewology. It's a woman from MIT who's taking um, recycled plastic and turning it back into diesel fuel. This has been, uh, I've seen this um, uh, happening, but I've never seen it on this level where she has a plant now in Idaho. Um, it's super exciting, but at the same time, wow, we're burning gas. Um, yeah. But it, it could, it's a temporary fix. It's its a move, I think, in the right direction. <laughs> you never know these days. <laughs> That's for us really the conundrum is that, uh, so we got really excited because we make some products out of fabric. We got really excited about this company in Haiti that was taking plastic bottles that washed up on the shore of the beaches in Haiti and were turning them into denim and other types of, of cotton type plastic. And we thought, how awesome is that? Like we can make things out of re recycled plastic water bottles. But then we're just creating a demand for plastic water bottles. Mm -hmm. And so if I had read the article about Zoetica using, you know, plastic water bottles in fabric and I were walking along the beach in Haiti, I'd be like, oh, huh. Well, if I throw it here, 
they're going to pick it up and turn it into a nice denim fabric. You know, so we don't want to be part of creating new demand for single-use plastic. And so to, to come up with a material science kind of approach that takes things that we want to get rid of and turns them into something else creates demand for the thing we want to get rid of. And that's really hard for us. What we want is to start a conversation about stainless steel. Um, So a lot of people ask us, you know, why stainless steel? Why uncoated stainless steel? We'll talk more about what we, you know, what, what our products are. But the reality of the stainless steel business is, first of all, it's one of the most sustainable production methods of a durable good in the world. Um, So it's not perfect. No manufacturing is perfect. Um, But when you create stainless steel, it can be made from 100% recycled stainless steel. So it's a closed loop. And there is so much ravenous appetite to take stainless steel and make it into new stainless steel that companies that do it are desperate to like gather up every piece of stainless steel that they can get. It's easy to wash. Um, It's easy to sterilize. And then once you turn it into something, as long as you don't coat it with a bunch of color and a lot of uh, painted on designs and things like that, you really only have to use it maybe 20, 25 times and it paid for itself environmentally. As soon as you throw that colored coating and all those beautiful designs on it, you have to use it 300 times or more to get it to pay off environmentally. And then, you know, the case is a little bit harder to make. Um, but we, but stainless steel is so amazing in its capacity to avoid leaking, to close, to snap, to, to protect, to wash, to become, uh, you know, to become incredibly clean in a dishwasher. Um, and so we would love to see people get away from plastic altogether. You walk into a store you know, a a vendor and you grab a to-go container that is stainless steel and they scan that barcode on the bottom. And if you don't put it back into the system somewhere, somewhere else, you bring it back the next day you're getting your lunch or something, then it, you know, you get charged for it and and you own it now and you can use it at home. But we think that there's a a future model, like if you were imagining the the sci-fi model where everybody's taking their to-go things in a reusable version and discarding them and it gets back into the system. It doesn't have to go away. It doesn't have to get thrown away. It actually gets washed and put back in the system somewhere. Stainless is really easy to make out of recycled material. Unlike plastic where you have to, it's hard to sort it. You have to deal with the contamination. Stainless steel is very easy to take your metals and create new stainless steel. Karen, when we first talked uh, a week ago, you did this thing where you talk about, and you just said it again here, with stainless steel, you only need to use it 25 times. Because everything we produce has an environmental cost. So you can't make a stainless steel water bottle or a stainless steel to-go container without an environmental cost. It It gets heated, it gets transported, it gets molded, it gets brushed or finished. Um, Every single thing we make has a cost, every computer, every car. Um, And then you're putting it next to a paper cup. So if you take a paper cup and you use it once and you throw it away, then that paper cup also has an environmental cost 
right? So if you used a stainless steel cup, within 20 uses, you will have paid the environmental cost, and then you're going to ideally keep using it another three, 4,000 times. The paper cup is going to keep accumulating environmental cost over time. So the, the, there's always with everything a little, you know, a moment at which it equilibrates um, to the throwaway version. It's not the first time you use it. It's usually in a really good scenario. It's like the, the 10th, 15th, 20th time you use it, that it's better than using the throwaway version. But if you choose a really high quality, durable thing, then you use it for so long that its payoff is extreme. So that blue coated or blue painted stainless steel mug you have, you'd have to use that 300 times to make up for that one cup. Well, or all the cups over the 300 times. Yeah. Because that blue powder coating takes an incredible amount of energy and and environmental impact to apply to stainless steel. And it didn't give it any benefit, not, just not no benefit. It just, just made look. it look cool, yeah. made it look different from the person next door. Um, we're doing some of that with cork because cork is a sustainably harvested item. So you get the benefits of having the stainless steel not be so cold in your hand or hot in your hand or whatever. But the cork is actually incredibly uh, renewable. It grows. You don't kill the tree to actually produce it. Um, there are way, you know, it's actually pulling carbon from the atmosphere instead of putting carbon into the atmosphere. So that industry, granted, it can't it, it can't handle extreme growth because there's only a small part of the world where cork is grown, but it it deals with the things they're trying to do with powder coating in a much more sustainable way. So with everything we look at, everything we vet, we're asking all these questions. How was it made? What energy inputs went into making it? You know, what are we thinking about in terms of the payoff, the environmental payoff? And we don't have our blinders on about how every sing- single thing is has an environmental cost. A lot of people say, oh, just go find something that already exists. And that's always the better the better choice, like go to the thrift store, you know, go down into your parents' basement and find a water bottle that's just sitting on a shelf. Um, that's always the best solution. But there's still this ravenous appetite for new. And if we're going to have an appetite for new, let's let's supply it with highly uh, reusable, durable, cleanable, excellent products that can replace single-use convenience trash. So that seems like a very nice segue into talking specifically about Zoetica. What is this company, Zoetica? Zoetica is a company that is trying to change the nation or the world's dependency on single-use trash. We create systems and we provide products if you have part of your system already in place. Um, but we, we, it's really about the systems. So you have a to-go system that you leave in your car, you carry in your bag, um, you take it on the plane, you take it overseas, and it has everything you need so that you are not, you can say no to all this um, convenient trash that is thrown at you all day long. Um, you have your to-go container, your cup, your utensils, your produce bag, your napkin, all of it is in place in one convenient, styly, little compact unit. It's almost like your urban camp kit. That's what a lot of people say. They say, you know, well, I do this when I go backpacking 
And we say, why do you only do it when you go backpacking? What if you took that ethos and you applied it to your entire life? Because the reason you're not leaving a trail in the backcountry is because there's nobody to pick it up after yep. you. The reality in our everyday life now is that nobody's picking it up after us here either. Right. And so we're just shoving it off onto someone else to deal with. Yep. And so um, our philosophy is that the hardest reason, you know, the biggest reason people are having trouble with this is because they don't have a system. You know, so one day they've got their cup with them, but not their water bottle. The next day they've got a to-go container, but not their cup. They, they bring their to-go container, but then they don't have a, they have to take the plastic cutlery because they don't have the cutlery. Um, or in the case, you know, they don't have a good bag to put it in and it doesn't have the side pockets. And so they, they're like, oh, I don't have it with me because I don't have a good bag. You know, we've basically solved the entire issue from top to bottom as Elizabeth said, in a way that doesn't make you feel like a vagabond, you know, you want, like, we can all care about style. We care about looking good when we're working and, you know, traveling. And so we've taken these systems and we put them into beautiful packaging, not, not single use packaging. Like even the, the boxes we ship out, we use boxes that someone already shipped something in and we gather them from people in our community and we reship our products in those. So sometimes people get their Zoetica order in an Amazon box, but it's because we don't want that Amazon box to have a short single lifespan. Um, and so, yeah, it's for us, it's really about a system because when you have a system, you can check the pockets and say, okay, I've got my to-go containers. I've got my cup. I've got my water bottle. I've got my cutlery. I've got my napkin. Um, and it's all like designed to fit together in as lightweight and as compact um, fashion and to go in the dishwasher and the washing machine and be easy to clean up or swap out really quickly. We've got Ziploc replacements, um, produce bags, shopping bags, you know, the works, but it all goes together. And so, you know, when we talk to our customers, they're like, it's the most insane thing. I feel so empowered because I always have it with me. I never forget because I know what the kit looks like and I know how to keep it stocked. Mm -hmm. um, but it takes a commitment. It, you know, you can't just, you can't just like hope it's going to be there when you want it. You have to commit to cleaning it, putting it back together and putting it in your bag or your backpack or your computer, you know, tote or in your car. So your website is zoeticalife.com mm -hmm. and people can go online and maybe they say, hey, I've got my water bottle or I've got this or I've got that, but you have a, an array of different kits to fit different needs. Tell me about the options. We do. We have large options. We have your backpack for international travel that comes with a water filter and to-go containers and your water bottle and your um all sorts of different items in the backpack. Then it gets smaller. You know, we have the warrior, which is, which I live with. It's my purse and it has my, my holder for my water bottle and the holder for my coffee cup. And I've got my to-go container. And then we have the nomad, which just has a to-go container, your utensils, napkin, you know, um, market tote, all of that. Um, then if you don't, if you have just you're missing those few items, then we sell them individually. You can create your own kit. You can um, buy. We have we have um, reusable 
Ziploc style snack bags that you can use. Um, that's always been um, my big thing with making lunches for my kids. I've gotten rid of the plastic um, Ziplocs and are, I'm using these where you can wash them. You know, they can go in your dishwasher. I can put a sandwich in them, send it off to school with my kid. And so we just have a whole array of different kind of products that um, to choose from. Right. But really our focus is the system. Uh, so we have a, a lot of different individual things people can choose from and people do that all the time. But what we have found is that having a system makes a huge difference um, because then you are solving eight or nine or 10 different problems all at once instead of just the one. So I found I was really good at bringing my shopping bags to the grocery yeah. store. And I was really good at bringing my coffee cup to the coffee shop. But I was really terrible about putting all of my produce in produce bags inside my reusable bags, you know, shopping bags. And then I found I was really bad with the Ziplocs and I was really bad with the to-go containers when I was traveling. You know, I travel half the time for work. And so in the airport, grabbing a clamshell plastic container with a salad in it, that was those were all my you know base failures that I was trying to fix. Once I found a container that was leak proof and incredibly easy to clean, now I just go and sit at a, you know, at the bar at a restaurant in the airport and I order a salad and I quickly transfer it to my own container, close it up, throw it in my computer bag and off I go. I have a little dressing condiment container. I put the dressing in the condiment container. I put it in my salad container and off I go. And I don't accept any of those plastic containers anymore. Um, you know, we could go on for days, Elizabeth and I, about all the various different actions that we take every day. So that, you know, that same recent trip to Columbia, I had the Explorer with me, which was, you know, we have this ultraviolet light water purifier so we could avoid all the plastic bottles with clean water. We would fill our own bottle with clean water and purify it ourselves with a UV light. Um, so really trying to recognize like where are all the uses coming from and what are the solutions and how can we provide a, a system to solve every one of those problems. It's an empowerment tool too. You know, I think right now our world reading the news about what we're, what's going on with our environment, it, it can be completely devastating, depressing. And this is, I think people want to feel empowered and want to feel like they're doing something and in something that's tangible that they can see on a daily basis. Right. And it's legit. That's what I like. You know, when I, when I asked you about the material science question and you started to answer and I was like, yeah, actually that's just the wrong question for what you're doing. It's like, how about we don't just hope that the material science savior is coming along? Let's refuse. And, and I think that's a really interesting thing. And it's like, you know how I know that I'm actually making a legit difference is if I throw nothing away. Exactly. Right? right. And so I think it's really interesting in, in that regard because we, um, you know, I, I'm not a Luddite. I like technology and here's hoping that that smart people do keep, you know, giving us better opportunities or options, but your solution waits on nothing. nothing. And um, when we're talking about this notion of zero waste, and that's sort of a newer concept, you know, it isn't a newer concept, leave no trace. It's exactly what you said. You say that to me, and I bet you say that to 
most of the people listening to this conversation automatically clicks. And it's so interesting the way that we can just reframe, slight reframing、mm-hmm. of these conversations. And you're like, hey, dumbass, you wouldn't, you know, think about the way when you are going on a backpacking or camping trip. How do you operate? Why do the rules change when you come back? Absolutely. I've been reading up and trying to learn more about zero waste shops and the rest. And it's like, it's just so funny when it's like, yeah, leave no trace. That's a term that's been around for so many years.、Mm-hmm. And that is just an ingrained ethic, I think, in this outdoor community.、Absolutely. Like, people, this is not a big, weird new step. Well, we really struggle. We struggle with. Probably three things that are in that normal conversation about zero waste. So, the first thing is zero waste. As soon as you set a goal of zero waste, you've just eliminated like everybody who's like, I'll never be zero.、Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> how do I ever get to zero?、Huh. And so, I think there's a flaw in that language in the. So, that's the movement a, so you don't, you、with. don't actually, you don't identify as a kind of zero waste company or that's not language that you. No, I don't. I mean, We try it, not to. Yeah, we try not to use that term. I think that's. I'm not zero waste. I'm not zero waste. This is、yeah. my company. And I have a, you know, I have another company that's much larger and it's not zero waste. We have a goal of becoming zero waste, but it's a, it's a phenomenally difficult thing to do. So that's one thing is, you know, the terminology is, ex- is exclusive. It's like, here's our club of people who are doing it. And if you asked any of them, They would be relying on the recycling system, first of all, which is a flaw. And they probably aren't actually achieving it themselves. So, again, it becomes sort of sanctimonious.、Yeah. It's like, we're zero and you're like 20,、yeah. you know, and I, we don't want to be part of that.、Um, so, that's one thing. The second thing is the, you know, the big push in the material sciences is toward cleaning up the ocean. They're coming up with these incredible booms that they're dragging through the ocean. To pull out plastic that's floating in these gyres and on the surface. And、um, great concept, but the, their lifespan ought to be incredibly short because once we clean it up, if we're still putting it back in, then we are still creating、yeah. the same awful problem. So, why solve the problem at the end of its lifespan、yeah. rather, when we could solve it at the beginning?、Um, and that's kind of where we come down on the whole science side. is... So much of the science is focused on taking things that exist and trying to fix, fix their terrible lifespan.、Um, we would rather have this is almost like what my grandmother did in the you know, 1920s to the 1950s. They had their beautiful ceramic things and they would always go to people's events with their、yep. you know, covered dishes and、yep. they had all their cups that you know, nobody. Used single use throwaway plastic because it didn't exist. And, and we have just ruined、um, so many beautiful things. The flavor of them is worse than plastic. Like coffee doesn't taste as good out of a plastic cup, you know, a plastic lined cup. And actually, a lot of times, like, you know, those cups don't keep your, your coffee as hot as a wonderful stainless steel to go cup that you can reuse. And so, really, the crazy thing is that all the solutions we offer. Not only work better, but they make things taste better, make things hotter, more enjoyable. So it, it is kind of a throwback to an old model, but I'm, I'm good with that. You know, my grandmother was onto something. More on Zoetica. Tell me again. So you two had these first conversations how long ago? 
Right, well, mainly, I'm just going to be point blank. It was right after the election of Trump. And I think we were devastated because we knew, you know, change was coming fast and there was going to be a lot of pullback on a lot of regulations. And we just felt like we needed to do something immediately that it was, it was so much angst needed to funnel that energy somewhere. And so that's when we started discussing certain organizations that we thought we could, you know, bring here to deal with climate change. But that it just kind of Zoetica had a life of its own. It just it just emerged. It just had its own life. <laughs> That's well, we both looked we really analyzed like our own habits and what influences and motivates us. And it's pretty rarely the nonprofit organizations. You know, yes, there are some that are distinctive and amazing, but generally it's these corporations that are driving real change. So say the red campaign, you know, for supporting HIV um, research or, um, you know, there are just so many big campaigns that have happened in the more consumer side of the world that have really gotten people to think differently, change their habits embrace, you know, transgendered people in modeling. Like I could go on for days and we realized that we, we thought we could have more impact as an entrepreneur based company, as a social entrepreneurship enterprise than we could as a nonprofit organization standing outside the post office in Crested Butte getting signatures. Not that those aren't valid and important tasks that happen. Um, but we'd love, you know, in, a, in an ideal world, we'd grow big enough and be wealthy enough as a company to start installing water bottle filling stations throughout every airport in America. You know, maybe there's one per one or two per huge uh, terminal of an airport. It, we think that there should be a water bo bottle filling station just on the inside of security, a line of them. So you dump your water out, you go through security with an empty water bottle, you fill it on the other side and off you go. What there is now is a opportunity to buy thousands and thousands of plastic water bottles. And yeah. that's what people do. Um, and so, you know, we, we have a grocery store in Gunnison that just did a huge renovation. This is Colorado. This is 2019. And they took an entire aisle and dedicated it to single-use beverage ser servings. So everything from vitamin water to Coca-Cola to kombucha to iced chai. You know, that's a huge growth sector in America of, of sales. And we, you know, we think we live in sort of a bubble of liberal, you know, like we're doing a better job here. We're not. You know, so the problem's growing around us and um, we want to be part of implementing and installing the solutions. Big, huge mission of ours is to work with vendors to get them to say, you have a Zoetica to-go container? Let me fill it. Just like Starbucks does with your to-go to coffee cup. Yeah. They have mechanized it from the inside of the company so they can say yes and be clean with your coffee cup. We want to do that with salad vendors and pasta vendors and pizza vendors so that everybody's like, oh, of course I'll put that in your container. I'm not going to hand you 12 pieces of plastic wrap, plastic cutlery, because you're not going to want that. Um, so that's a big, you know, ultimate goal of the company is to certify vendors as, as Z-Life or Zoetica Life vendors who, you know, can really take it to the next level and support the mission. Yeah. 
You mentioned the gap. And these are exciting things to me when we are talking about going and working with huge companies with huge reach, right? And it's cool. You know, we're here in our little Gunnison Valley. And yeah, like it'd be great if on a local level, if, you know, let's all each start making significant changes. But man, when you hit that macro scale, that's a big deal. I'm just curious if you're willing to say a little bit more about what those conversations were like with Gap, if there were other conversations like that in other sectors. So, um, yes, these are some of the most exciting conversations that we get to have, because when a company has 130,000 employees nationwide, let's say, and, you know, so in the case of Gap, they own Athleta, which is a certified B Corp, one of the most environmentally responsible companies, clothing companies in the world. They own Old Navy. They own Banana Republic. Um, they have a huge number number of employees and they have their own cafeterias in most of their buildings. So they are like a nice little closed loop. And if someone at the top of Gap says, we are going to have a you know, single use plastic free company. And that's going to extend from how you get your coffee in the cafeteria when you come to work or what you have in, you know, what's in our uh, office, you know, kind of kitchens to um, what your lunch comes and goes in. Like they, Gap is doing some incredible things. You can get your food down in the cafeteria in for here, containers, ceramic, you know, things that are not going to be disposable. You can take it to any one of their offices, their locations, to your office, whatever. And then you can walk out into the hallway, put it in a bus tub, and they'll take it back to the cafeteria for you and clean it. Like they have some amazing things going on, but they also have some, still some challenges. All of their traveling employees are moving between you know, different events and, you know, the Hill City team, which does a lot of product testing out in the world and um, going to their distribution centers and back to headquarters. Um, they have some gaps. <laughs> we, we joke with them that everybody says that they put the little air quotation marks around it. Um, but we can really help them potentially to equip their, uh, their employees with travel kits that allow them to refuse single use uh, convenience trash all throughout their day in between locations and at their global events. Um, and so, yeah, that's a really big long-term conversation um, that will take a while to kind of come to fruit, but we feel pretty confident it will. Same with Salesforce, uh, 35,000 employees. Um, they don't make anything. And it, I mean, they make software, they, yeah. they code, but they don't, they don't produce um, any type of manufactured items. And, you know, we can really help them to make their zero, they have this net zero building in San Francisco that is just an absolute testament to what can be done with architecture to be environmentally responsible. But as long as their employees are walking in and out the door with coffee cups from Starbucks and, you know, every coffee shop in the neighborhood, it's not a net zero building and they're really aware of that. So we are working with them to sort of see the big picture, set the goals from the top down, and then, you know, great if we can help them with product line, but that's not our main mission. It's more of a consulting gig that we do, awareness building, because uh, it's very easy to get the blinders on and not really see what's going on in your own office space. Um, meetings are Meetings and events mm. and festivals and conferences are the hugest the offenders yeah. 
Um, so helping them to take an, a look from the, you know, from the bird's eye view and start coming up with solutions. Um, what is the best question that I haven't asked you? I think that the question that you haven't asked us yet is how do we reconcile ourselves to the fact that we're going to pack up a box and we're going to put it on a truck and we're going to ship it to someone. We just shipped a package mm -hmm. yes, this week to New Zealand. Um, we get orders all the time from Illinois and California and we're here in Colorado. So we are not blinders on to anything, literally to the toilet paper in the bathroom. Um, so we... I learned through the, this other company that I also own that I took through such a deep environmental kind of purging. I learned two or three things. One is how easy it is to convert your company to wind power. We are 100% wind powered at Zoetica. We've learned how to partner with other companies to help achieve objectives that we can't be in charge of ourselves because we're still too small. So if we tried to offset every gigaton of carbon that the freight trucks delivering our packages were producing, we would put ourselves out of business in year one. But there are incredible companies out there that are doing it, and we partner with them to essentially buy the, our carbon offsets. And there are companies that do that well, and there are companies that don't. And so we then had to vet to find the company that really takes it seriously and does it the right way. And it's legitimate. Um, and that, that extends to our toilet paper in the bathroom. You know, we buy from this amazing company called Who Gives a Crap? Um, because we give a crap, you know, and we're like, all of our toilet paper is, is bamboo. Um, so it's not you wouldn't believe the number of trees that are cut down every year just to supply office buildings with toilet paper. Um, we don't have a lot of different types of recycling because of the small community we're in. We sometimes have to drive things to Gunnison to be able to recycle them, like plastic film, which is actually recycled. Um, so, you know, we talk about how some of these systems don't actually work, but we take our plastic film, which is, you know, the stuff... That's like the like you grape you get grapes and it comes in that bag. You're yeah. like, what am I going to do with this bag now? It's not a number one or a number two plastic. Yeah. Um, a lot of things come in plastic film, and we take it down to Gunnison mm. and it gets sent to Trex, which is a decking company that makes composite decking out of our plastic film. You know, and we've vetted that cycle to make sure that it actually is working. Um, so there are so many things like that that we have had to think through to be consistent and not to have our blinders on like, oh, I don't see that thing that we're doing. Um, but as we grow, we'll be able to do more of that. So some of our suppliers that we work with, they send us things in, you know, more packaging than we want, um, even though it's like a bulk purchase. Um, so we're working with them to keep them from doing that. But we don't want them to just be on the other end, pulling the plastic off and then sending it to us. We want to encourage them to stop sending it in plastic. It does not need to be packaged in plastic. That's a weird construct that we've created to make sure people know something is new and didn't come from the thrift store. Um, our customers are comfortable with it. If there's no extraneous packaging in their yeah. box from, from Zoetica, they're like, Excellent. That's how I wanted it. Yeah. How far away do you think we are, you know, t to this becoming a broader thing where it's like, 
oh yeah, we're a company. We want to be known as a company that's not screwing up the world. We have taken really significant cutting measures in terms of packaging and the rest. I think we're so far away from that. Um, I think we're still going in the other direction where huh. now we have things that are wrapped in plastic that are put in a box that is cardboard that are put in a second box that is, you know, plastic covered cardboard. And so when you receive it, you know, and then, and then Amazon is going to ship Amazon's it. Amazon's the worst. They're going to put it in another box. And then half the time they're going to put little plastic pillows in it to keep it from moving around, even though it's not even breakable. Right. So my dream world is that Amazon's going to have a checkbox and I'm going to be able to say as a consumer and that every corporation in America that sells me something is going to have a checkbox. And I'm going to be able to say, I am one of those people who does not want that extraneous packaging on everything. Don't give it to me. Don't put the plastic bubbles in things that aren't going to break. Don't put seven layers of box around things. I'm going to take a chance. You know, so that water bottle that you're using, which we, um, you know, we wanted you to have is it all it comes with when we receive it from our supplier is this beautiful little compostable tag on it that tells you about the product and how it was made. That's it. Mm -hmm. There is nothing else because that's stainless steel with a cork wrap on it. Nothing's going to ruin it in transit. It's pretty burly. And so those are the we're also working on partnering with companies that get it as much as we do like they're not they're not going to put stuff in five layers of they're not going to stick five you know stickers and yeah and things inside and it on the marketing the and, yeah big project but <laughs> it's cool it's it's cool and exciting to hear the ways in which you are reaching out to these others i mean it's already a massive collaboration I have a suspicion that's where you are going to take this. The collaborations are only going to get bigger and broader. And that seems like the exact right way this needs to go. Well, we don't want to be part of a culture that is just making and making and making more new things. Um, there are so many companies out there that are making really beautiful, reusable things. And we don't want to have to be experts in every category. So we're really not making any of these things. We're partnering with 13, 14, 15 companies out there that are already making really great things. They're just in one little silo category. They're just doing water bottles. They're just doing coffee cups. They're just doing, you know, market totes, like shopping bags. Um, and we're bringing them all together into one thing that we've vetted to make sure that they're making them well, um, durable, going to work. And um, so that I feel really proud of that. We've had some people be like, wait, you don't make all this stuff? Then that, then who are you? You know, and we're like, no, that's one of our total points of pride as a company is we're not adding a bunch of new things to the to the system. We're just bringing together things that are already being made in their little worlds and making sure that someone can create one system out of all of them. This has been great. I'm very impressed with the way that you're thinking about things and conducting this. Like I said, there were some pretty significant kind of gestalt switches for me just in these couple of conversations we've had. And I would like to think that some others might have that kind of similar experience. So thanks so much. And um, again, we will have in the show notes to this episode a number of those resources that, that you shared with us today. So thank you.
Thank you. Thank you so much. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to Karen and Elizabeth for the conversation. And please go to zoeticalife.com to check out the variety of Zoetica kits and to learn more about Karen and Elizabeth's work. And also don't forget to go check out the Student Outdoor Leadership and Education Conference that's taking place at Western Colorado University on April 5th through the 7th. And you can learn more about that conference and also register to attend at soulconference.com. That's S-O-L-E conference.com. Thanks, everybody. Take good care out there. And we will talk to you again next week.